Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and Donald Trump's as he never swore an oath to protect the Constitution. What? We have such a great show for you today. Representative Chantel Brown tells us about what she sees in her district in Ohio. Then we'll talk to survival of the richest author and close personal friend of the podcast, Doug Rushkoff, about Elon Musk's latest fuckery, along with the looming threat of AI. But first, we have Democratic strategist James Carville. Welcome back, James Carville. Always glad to be back. We're so happy to have you. And I want to ask you, so you have done this many times. Say you are Biden's campaign manager right now. What are you going to do now? You have a year. Tell me how you get working class people back into the Democratic Party and bring back Hispanics and African-Americans. No pressure. Go. First of all, we we just got to do better with with white working class. There's no doubt about that. What do you think the white working class wants? A lot of them want, but we can't give them. (laughs) That's how they go to racism. Not all of yeah. them, but a lot of them do. We just can't give a Sorry. You know, we're not going to shoot people or that kind of stuff. So that's it, just not going to happen. But we can certainly cut the margins. We have horrific problems with black turnout. I can, I can tell you how bad they are. And we also have the problems with youth turnout. Part of it is going to be, you know, making Trump continue to make him as horrible as he is. But people already know how horrible he is. Ask to see Bobby Kennedy's mental health records which should be a minimum, because right now he's getting a lot of votes. 
I mean, a lot of people are saying they're going to vote for it because they, you know, why not be? I don't like Biden. I don't like Trump. And, you know, RFK's son, I remember something about that guy. So which please release your mental health rights. And if, you know, you ever been treated for heroin addiction, I would ask the question. And you get into a position where you're afraid to ask questions. And you'd have to run a pretty aggressive youth engagement program because the, the youth engagement and the black engagement not very good. In some ways, I think about Bill Clinton because Clinton also struggled with the youth vote the second time around, right? It's a struggle. I mean, uh, it should be the youth share. 30 and under should be about 17%. If you fall below that, it really hurts because it's not just that the young voters break for you. They also have to come out and vote. So let's just say the youth share is supposed to be 17 you get 62. Well, if the youth share goes to 15, not only do you not get 62 or 17, you get 62 or 15. But conversely, the over 30 share has to go up two points, which you're not going to do as well with. I was looking at the uh, results of the Ohio abortion vote, and it was staggering how every time you went up the age demographic level, the pro-choice vote went down. And I mean, it was, and it was noticeable. And if you don't get young, young voters are just a, a critical, critical, critical part of the Democratic coalition. And they just don't have to stand a good percentage. They have to stand a really good engagement party. And these old Trump voters, they're engaged. They want to burn the goddamn Constitution. Hey, they got garrison and matches out. They're ready to go. So let's talk about that for a second. Youth engagement, it's about sort of registering voters or it's about getting, like I think about student debt a lot because that's something that I know young voters really care about, right? But the people, percent of young voters that are in debt really care about. Right. But most, a lot of young people go to college, they go, two old people that go to they community college than go to the entire Ivy League. Right. But they don't have that. I mean, you're right. If you have the debt, you really care about it. Think of how many young voters are, are, are minimum wage workers are, are right. marginally involved. I mean, it's about 22-year-old working in tar shop in Atlanta. He's got a lot more shit on his mind than, than student debt. But it, it, it's one of these things. Right? And what we say, because the young people we know care about student debt, the young people we know care about climate issues. And, you know, because they all come home from college with all on that friends. And we say, well, gee, I know the youth vote. I got a 23-year-old daughter that lives in Chelsea and Manhattan. Well, the people that she hangs out with are not that reflective of other 24-year-olds around the country. They're not all clubbing. <laughs> when you do it politics, you got to be careful not to take your own experience and apply it to everyone else. If every, you know, clubbing 24-year-old man happens, 24 that are trying to take care of it. What do you think about the idea of just getting Biden out there more? A lot of times the, the criticism I've heard is that he's sort of too cloistered and they're too careful with him. How do I say this? I'm just turned 79. I think he's doing all he can do. I think you got so much gas in that tank. And, and he's got a, a pretty good bit on his, on his plate anyway. But have him go out there and do what? Just sort of more campaigning. This following logic has got people into more trouble than anything I can think of. And it goes like this. Something must be done. This is something. Ergo, 
let's do this. Uh-oh. Then you end up in Iraq. It's true something must be done, but not, not every something is the same. Some something cause a lot more grief than others. But I, and I don't know if you, if you say, well, they need to put Biden out there more. I said, do, more doing what? Have a town hall with voters uh Northern Virginia Community College? Oh, no. No, to the union hall. I, I don't know. Right now, the situation is, is very precarious. There are a lot of crunch. For example, like, I just want to go back to the off-off-year election. In my mind, I was pretty sure that Youngkin was going to be able to flip the House of Delegates because, or, or the state Senate, one was Republican, because it, it felt to me like Youngkin was offering a sort of more moderate style of Trumpism. What happened instead was that Democrats were able to flip the other state house, and now Youngkin has even less power, Democrats really did overperform again. So I'm just wondering how much you think that relates to the current situation. So let's let's back. It is undeniably true that Democrats have either won or overperformed in every election since Kansas. Right? If you remember the Kansas referendum, which was in August 2022, I actually the only national Democrats to go to campaign. Since then, we've won and overperformed in every election. That's undeniable. We actually got a higher percent in Mississippi than any Democrats got in Mississippi. In Virginia, though, very, very close to Virginia Democrats, Virginia State Party Chair, Susan Sweckett, one of my best friends, been a friend of mine for 40 years now. You can thank one person more than any other, and that's Mark one. If Youngkin was going to use this, you know, because he's the billionaire's favorite Republican. He raised a slew of money. And if he won, if he kept the House and won the Senate, he was going to go to Des Moines as the, the conquering hero. And then the United States sent to Mark Warner for Governor of Virginia, got on the phone, and did what he had to do and raised a bunch of money. And the Democrats ran a very smart campaign. Much of it was talking about keeping Republicans out of your bedroom in your library. And we ran the campaign and we were able to flip some seats. Does this have a larger implication for a Biden, Trump, Kennedy, Cornell, West, Joe Stern, whatever get it running? You don't know, but it's undeniable that we're running elections right now. It's kind of winning them everywhere. You know, so now they come in and, I mean, Yuckin is so nakedly transparent. They haven't run tape before the... Go to trial, actually. So I can't talk about it, but we get in. We don't really think that is here. Now he said, well, they come up with a 15-week ban, with exceptions. Which, by the way, is approved by the National Right to Life team. They're trying to surrender. No one will take their white flag. The public is like, screw you. We don't trust you. You don't believe this. You're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to burn our books. You're trying to Get in our bedrooms, trying to make every preachers make decisions about our lives that we feel like we're entitled to make. And then you get caught and you say, well, we'll figure something out. No, people are not that stupid. You know, particularly in Northern Virginia, I mean, where we've won with some pretty, pretty engaged voters. Yeah. So it sounds like your anxieties, and I think these are really relevant and important, and certainly these really are things that can be addressed. A little less than a year till the election, but youth voters, youth turnout, and uh, third party, right? And by turnout, 
I mean, that means black turnout, I'm doing a, uh, I'm a Zoom forum in, in, in Louisiana. What? That is almost non-existent. This has been true everywhere. It, for some reason, and I do not know why, you can't get people to talk about it. They, they think it's racist to say we, we're having trouble with black turnout. It's just the opposite. We can't win elections. Do you think that Biden has done something to alienate black voters? I can't imagine any president with a better record for black America than Joe Biden. If, if you can't, but by conventional laws, income growth, unemployment, differential between black and white unemployment, the appointments he made, he's made, just in what Joe, what Joe Biden's heart is. Right. I said he is the biggest ill-planned admirer that ever lived who had a stunning record. No one's had a better record than Joe Biden, and no one is getting a worse vote. Do you think it's that he doesn't have en- enough black surrogates out on the trail? I've got black surrogates everywhere. we got black cabinet members. I don't like to have any more. And by the way, we had bad black turnout with both Warnock and Stacey Abrams on the ballot in the first round of 2022. We had bad black turnout with Sherry Beasley on the ballot in North Carolina. We had bad turnout, black turnout in Pennsylvania. We had bad black turnout in Wisconsin. I got these consultants calling me saying, shit, man, look at, you know, what do we do? And I'm like, I'm trying to think with them and, you know, come up with ideas and throw spaghetti up against the wall and nothing right now is sticking. You have no sense of what it is. It's not that we don't have sufficient black candidates. Now, we can, we can cross that off as a reason. I'm pretty sure that's not it. It's somehow or another, they don't think... We understand their lives. And I think a lot of it is, is that I think the cost of living stuff. Right. The inflation stuff. Yeah. It just kills. It, so you go out and you tell people, well, the economy is actually better than you think it is. And then they say, well, that guy doesn't have any. That, that makes it great. You know, I did. But if you don't say something good about the economy, how are they going to know it? Right. Absent anything else, the probably default position is going to be, let's scare the shit out of them. You know, that that's going to work. According to the White House messaging, they say, you're not voting for the almighty, you're voting for the alternative. Which, all right, that is not a very inspirational starting place. The company is summoned to do, well, uh, not, you know, well, think about how bad, you think things are bad now, just think about how bad they can get. That's not probably going to get somebody off the edge of the boat. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vaccine problem in the only people that really talk about it are people that are directly involved in these campaigns. I mean, Mandela Barnes was a progressive, great, unbelievable, we couldn't get a black turnout. Can I just say one thing about Mandela Barnes? He almost won. He was a victim of bad polling, right? The polls showed he was behind by 10 points or 8 points. You know, Molly, we're not playing horseshoes in Liberty. If we haven't lost, we, we, we're winning elections. We won the Supreme Court election by 13 points. You, you know, almost don't get you anything. I mean, not only to be, the reason he lost, he did staggeringly well in Dane County, which is Madison. He had tepid black turnout in Milwaukee. If he had anything toward normal turnout, and that's where the share kills you. That's that's where you lose. If you, when you don't have that, that's where you lose fortunes, and that's why this is so unbelievably troubling. Yes, the Mandela Barnes is the perfect example. Boy, let me tell you, the white progressives, 
They came out of the woodwork. But it wasn't enough. The blacks didn't vote, but it wasn't enough. It, it, in order to win, it's very difficult to do it without a robust, you say, without a robust black suit. You at least have to match the historical levels. If you don't, it, it makes it really old. Thank you so much, James. Really appreciate you. Thank you, dear. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Congresswoman Chantel Brown represents Ohio's 11th Congressional District. Welcome to Fast Politics, Representative Brown. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you, and I feel like you have such an interesting district. But talk to us a little bit about how you got to Congress and what your district is like. I'll start back when I think it's important for your listeners to know that my entree into politics came because I simply wanted to help my neighbors who were all like seniors and retirees. I was the youngest homeowner on my street. This was in 2011. And much like we're dealing with now with the Israel-Hamas conflict, the news cycle was redundant. But at that time, it was the Japanese tsunami. It led me to my first city council meeting because I wanted to know where would we go in the event of a natural disaster? So I got the answer, but something nodded my spirit and said, keep going back and learn about what's happening in your neighborhood. And I did. And what I learned, Molly, was there was room for improvement. 
So rather than complain, I'm a person that believes in being the change that you want to see. And so I decided to throw my name in the hat to run for city council. And as I continued to go to the meetings, I cultivated relationships with the administration. They said, if you need some help out there, let us know. Well, I took them up on their offer and I was able to get some things done even before being elected. Fast forward, election day came, polls closed. I was down by six votes. I actually thought I lost the race. I was down, but not out, disappointed, but not devastated. I decided I was going to keep doing what I was doing because I was getting things done. It was about doing the work for the people and not necessarily the position or the title for me. But little did I know there were 23 provisional ballots in my race. 11 days later, after those votes were counted, I learned that I had actually won by seven votes. Wow. Yes, every vote does count. Do the work for the people, not the position or the power. And that was the thing that led me into politics. So fast forward, other opportunities presented themselves. I eventually became a county council person, Democratic Party chair. And then the special election came when my predecessor was promoted to secretary of HUD for the Biden-Harris administration. And I think the timing opportunity and the work that I had done from 2011 to 2021 put me in an excellent position to be able to navigate a race of 13 candidates and secure almost 51% of the vote in that race. And it really came down to me and another dynamic African-American woman. But I think the distinction was I had been in the community for the last 10 years actually delivering results while she had been on the national stage campaigning along Senator Sanders. And so that was the distinction. People knew me. I had a reputation for getting things done. And the people knew that they could trust me to go to Congress and get the work done on their behalf. I want to talk to you about this because right now we are starting the run up to what might be the last election we ever have in this country, not to put too fine a point on it. And what you're saying is that you won your election by being known by local people and by delivering for them. I mean, do you think that can translate into the presidential? Absolutely. Because politics is local, right? We've heard the expression and we know it. I'm a federal candidate. I, I make laws at the national level, but the race came down to the people and knowing the candidates, knowing what their reputation was, knowing the work that they've actually done. Cuyahoga County, for your listeners, is heavily Democratic. So people say, you know, if you put a, a bottle of water and it has a D by it, it's going to get elected mm-hmm. in my district. So it's, right. very, it's very important, though, that you have um, someone in the position, though, that knows how to get things done, who has good working relationships with folks, who um, also is open minded and willing to make compromise. And I think that was the key to what some people would call my rapid rise in success in what has been often described as a legacy seat. This seat was held by the Honorable Lou Stokes, who demanded that we have reflective representation in our government. He was followed by Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, who left us all too soon, but she had a huge reputation known for her just dynamic personality. She could connect with people from what I would describe as the hood to the heights, from the streets to the suites. Um, She just was known for that. And then followed by my predecessor, Secretary Marsha Fudge, who has been known for making headway and not headlines. She's just all about the policy and always making sure she put the people first. And that was one of the things that she instilled in me. Make sure you put the people first. And that 
to me, is what keeps the 11th Congressional District folks focused on the person and not necessarily the personality, focused on the substance and not necessarily the style. So today I was talking to James Carville and he said one of the anxieties that Democrats are having is black turnout. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's crazy? And if you think that's right, what do you think Democrats need to do to fix that? We've got to meet people where they are, Molly. And I know that that sounds cliche, but it is really true. And we have to be able to connect the dots for folks, particularly a lot of people are in survival mode, right? Inflation is high, but it's coming down. Um, Rent is high. I don't know that that's coming down, but we are seeing more job creation, lower unemployment than we have in recent history, right? But because people are in this kind of survival state of mind, we have to be able to connect the wins in everyday life with the policy makers and the legislators so that they understand how the two connect. And what I mean by that, let's, you know, the fact that we've been able to cap insulin prices at $35 a month is helping put money back into people's pockets, right? We know that African-Americans are disproportionately affected by diabetes and other chronic illnesses, and they're very costly. But because of the Inflation Reduction Act, we've been able to make some real change. Because of the bipartisan infrastructure law, we've created millions of jobs that do not require a four-year degree, but you can earn a good wage. So we've got to get people back to work and back to getting into these good positions. And those who have been able to benefit from these jobs, they have to be able to draw the line back to, oh, this is a result of a policy that was made by my congressperson. The Veterans Pact Act, those things that um, have helped veterans who historically and traditionally were not getting the level of benefits that they had earned and deserved need to know that it was not a miraculous act of God that now they're getting 80, 90, 100% of their benefits when for the last few decades, they've been getting 10 or 15%. So making these things digestible, palatable, and connecting them to their everyday life, I think is critical to us making sure that people understand that their vote has value and they are getting some real tangible results. So you have this legislation that you've just introduced, which would improve federal reentry grant programs. Explain to us what all those words mean. (laughs) Well, recidivism is high and we want to make sure that we're dealing with issues as it relates to recidivism and reducing that. And so we wanted to put something together because this, again, is an issue in a city like Cleveland, Ohio, one of the highest poverty rates in a big city in the country where we're trying to help returning citizens be able to seamlessly transition back into the everyday life. And so these are the things that we hear from constituents that are critically important to just, again, making their lives better, putting people over politics, doing the real work that delivers real results and improves the quality of their life. So after three weeks of having no House speaker, you now have a new speaker of the House. He is quite religious, but not universally disliked like Kevin McCarthy. So that's something. He definitely has fantasies of a federal abortion ban. Are you concerned about that coming up? There's different parts of the CR that he has to try to pass. A lot of this is going to happen in the new year. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are about the new speaker. Many thoughts about the speaker. So starting with the fact that 
He is uh, he has been described as the architect of the election denying for the 2020 election. And that is very concerning, given the fact that he is now the Speaker of the House and has far, far, far too much authority, in my opinion, as it relates to how we will transition in 2024 after votes are counted and the things that we will need to do to certify our election. So I I do have some concerns. As it relates to the national abortion ban, you know, I'm from Ohio. Um, We had a big issue in November earlier this month as it relates to enshrining the right for women and people to make their own health care decisions into our constitution. It was a big deal because like many of the other states where this was on the ballot, it passed by, I think, 57 percent. And the reason I bring that up is because Republicans like MAGA Mike and Jim Jordan and our secretary of state, um, who was the architect of an issue in August, wanted to raise that threshold to 60 percent, a supermajority, which would have if they were successful in August, then this initiative in November would not have passed. So it is very concerning to have someone in the House who is anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ, and does it under the guise of religion because I am a child of faith and the Bible that I read teaches me to love. And that is one of the foundation and premises of faith that I don't always see being practiced (laughs) on the other side of the aisle. There's a lot of hate, (laughs) a lot of bashing and a lot of anti this and anti that. And it is quite frightening for me as a Black woman who knows that our rights and freedoms are constantly being threatened, especially right now where we have this radical right wing Supreme Court who continues to make decisions that just seem to continue to turn back the hands of time as it relates to affirmative action, the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade. It is a frightening time. So MAGA Mike is right in line with President Trump's just anti, anti, anti everything. They are truly the party of no. Great at pointing out problems, terrible at finding any solutions. And I don't see right now Magamite being any different, quite candidly. It is interesting, though, that they have found someone who he basically was someone that they sort of like they just panicked, right, after three weeks of not having a speaker. And really, we just have to make someone speaker. And this guy is not universally loathed. I think it's interesting when you think about this abortion ban. I mean, you're in Ohio. So you, I mean, what do voters tell you are their concerns? Well, let me start with with going just back to that critical election at the top of the month is that People, the the people spoke loud and clear, and it was a broad coalition. I, I definitely have elite Democrat, but independents and Republicans, you don't get those type of numbers um, in Ohio without having a broad coalition of support. So what they're telling us is that they want to be able to make their own health care decisions. They do not support these all-out abortion bans, these extreme abortion bans. In Ohio, we were the state that had a 10-year-old rape victim who had to flee the state to get an abortion. And, and that alone should let people know that abortion care is health care. This is the state that I live in. So people are very clear whether they're Democrat, Republican, independent, male, female, black, white, ab- 
broad coalition of folks came out for this election, which is in a local election year traditionally. So typically in local election years, some people like to call them off election years. I don't believe in off election years. There's no such thing as an off election, particularly in Ohio. We have elections every single year, often twice, primaries in general. So in this local election year, we saw numbers like midterm election numbers, which is unheard of. Oh, so you're seeing a lot of turnout. Oh, yeah, we were seeing great turnout. So people are paying attention. What it's telling me, people are paying attention. Issues are still important and messaging matters. That's what the people are telling me. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I mean, but you feel like your constituents, the sort of number one thing they're struggling with right now is inflation. Inflation is a challenge. And what we have continued to do and continue to fight for in this in 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 this Congress, but I think more successfully, obviously, in the 117th, when Democrats had the majority, we were able to get some significant things done. And so now, Molly, it's about implementation. In 2021, um, my first vote, second day, was to cast the bipartisan infrastructure law. We know that the bipartisan infrastructure law will yield amazing job opportunities for years and years to come. This is not something we're just going to see a one or two year benefit. This is going to be for years and years to come. So I have the utmost confidence that as we talk about inflation and we think about the opportunities that are going to avail themselves. When we couple that with the Inflation Reduction Act, with the things that we have already done and that we will be able to do to combat inflation, like the negotiation of the top 10 prescription drug prices, negotiating them down. So again, we're putting money back into people's pockets. The rebates that people would be able to receive as it relates to improving and upgrading their homes to make them more energy efficient, lowering their electric bills and gas bills and things like that. Those are the real things that will start to hit people's wallet. We're starting to see gas prices come down, but nobody's really talking <laughs> talking about these things. The number of people that the president was able to relieve of their student debt. And still we have the SAVE program for those who did not get that benefit. They can get their student loan payments adjusted based on their income and how many people live in their household. And they won't be impacted by the interest rates, which has also been a hindrance for people. So there are things that are continuing to happen as a result of the 117th Congress to deal with this inflation. And so I think we'll, given a little bit more time and hopefully by the time this time next year, a little bit sooner, people will be able to say, okay, I'm feeling the results of this great legislation that was passed during the 117th Congress to tackle these issues around inflation. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll have me back. It, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank Yes, you're great. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Doug Rushkoff is the author of Survival of the Richest. So let me tell you, yes. I honestly, honestly, if I could choose anyone with whom to sit in the front row at the downfall of civilization, it would be you. I mean, I really would. I don't know. I was listening to you this morning and thinking, I don't know if you are intervening on behalf of democracy or simply providing palliative care to a dying society, but it feels Aww. so good to listen to you. And then with, to get your email, we need you. It's like, oh my God, I want to be part. I'm, I'm here. I am here. I'm. So I want to start by asking you a question 
which I have been thinking about this entire time because I wrote this week about this idea of pseudo events. And then my husband, Matt Greenfield, was talking about this idea of the singulacrum, right? Which is, this is a little, we're getting a little esoteric here. So well, this is a long convoluted way to say that when I talked to Ben Masaryk, he said that he was pretty sure that Elon Musk believed he was in a simulation revolving around him and that this is not that unusual for very successful people. What? Discuss. Well, it's interesting. At the In the last season of Westworld, which was about these robots and all, they're like, you know, robot people. One of the leads decides to try to figure out kind of how to save the planet, how to save civilization. So he runs simulations in order to figure out what's the best path. So he spends like, you know, 10 years running millions and millions of simulations, trying everything to find out what's the most likely path. So if you're running millions and millions and millions of simulations in order to figure out which one path to go, it means that there's way, way, way more simulations going on than there are actual realities, right? <laughs> so tech bros figure, since there's so many more simulations going on, it's way more probable that we're just in one of those simulations than we are in a real thing. That's sort of where where they go with it, you right. know, but they live by probability, right? That's artificial intelligences are what? They're probability engines. They look for the most probable answer to something that anybody who's stuck completely in the kind of computer mindset they run everything to get to the most probable outcome, the most probable way of making money, the most probable place to make your bet on the stock market. And they're not living in that weird human in-between crazy realm of possibility where us sort of more artist, humanist kind of thinkers live. So what does that mean? Does that mean what that, that means? we are in a it's simulation? <laughs> I'm worried that now that you're saying Elon is right. No, okay. I'm saying that if you're playing a purely probabilistic game, then Elon is right. But you know what? Life itself is so highly improbable, right? <laughs> that something's happened to make this everything great that's happened, you know, life and humans and consciousness and society, these are all improbable things. Even the way that the tech bros have manifested, it's highly improbable that you'd get to be Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. So on the one hand, they think of themselves as these demigods, super being better than anybody else, which is highly improbable. And on the other hand, they're playing this computer game that we're living in a world dictated by probability. And it just it doesn't hold up. Right. They're, it's so self-contradictory. But these are not normal people. They don't think in normal ways. They didn't ground themselves emotionally. Right. They didn't develop personalities the way most of us did. They kind of leaned into certain aspects of their autism to become a kind of a distanced systems thinker where they look at the world much more like everybody or just little iron filings moving back and forth between the magnetic poles of these super beings, you know, that, that are them and Musk and Bezos and Zuckerberg. Elon went to Israel yesterday as a response 
to being called anti-Semitic? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, does he just want to keep everyone's attention? Is there something more that I'm missing? Explain to me what's happening here. Well, I think Elon Musk thinks of himself a bit like the king, that when he, he kind of bought Twitter and turned it into X and became the new troll in chief, he kind of replaced Trump. Right as the planet's chief troll. And I think he does, you know, I don't think he's as evil as all that. I think he's more whimsical, but very, very powerful. So he sees a tweet and he goes, yeah, that sounds yeah. right. And he retweets it at the moment. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Pelosi's husband, you know, is attacked by a gay lover. Oh, that sounds good. Let's see what that does. It's also great for business in a certain way. It's great for business if your business is to generate excitement and inflammation and, you know, and get people tweeting and commenting, then sure. You know, the same as it's good for business for Trump. It gets his base all excited. So he'll retweet things and generate a uh, hubbub and then Right. His advertisers want to leave. So what does he do? A kind of a listening tour yeah. of, the, of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Right. With his good friend, Bibi Netanyahu, you know, who also would just I mean, he keeps Netanyahu just keeps saying there will never be two states. It's like, do you really want to be saying that just out in the open? Yeah. You know, at least we know where he stands, but it, it, it's bizarre. But yeah, he goes and walks through. See, I like Jews. It's all good. Remember, I'm from a I'm from another apartheid state, you know. <laughs> it's such a strange phenomenon to have this person with so much power. So he does control like half of the satellites in the country, right? I know. I mean, that's the thing that I keep thinking is like there's a real difference between the kind of robber barons of today versus those of the of the original Gilded Age. You know, because I was looking at the, they really are not Musk is not richer than J.P. Morgan was, you know, not balanced for inflation. These guys are not richer, but they seem so much more powerful. And I think it's because they have this almost horizontal power. Right. Musk doesn't just own Twitter X. He owns Tesla and SpaceX and Starlink and the Boring Company and Solar City and Neuralink and XAI. And he's trying to build another another finance company. So, yeah. So he owns Starlink, which is like the main satellite system that we use for surveillance and spying. So he had the ability to tell Ukraine, OK, I'll give you the ability to see this far into Russia, but no further than that. Or he can go to Israel and say, OK, you know, I'll let you see this part of Gaza, but maybe not that. And that's weird for a tech bro dude to have you know, kind of almost the ability to grant powers or not to uh, international militaries. Do you think that part of what has created Elon Musk and also this tech bro overclass, which controls things that normal citizens should probably not control, do you think that that is because of a lack of government regulation? Which certainly doesn't help. And it's interesting at the brilliance of some of these guys, like you look at a Sam Altman who begs for government regulation is for them, by the time they turn around and say we want government regulation, it's because they can write the regulation to favor their own businesses. Right. right. So once you get to the monopoly right. stage, you go, OK, let's have regulation. Let's make sure all the important players have a place at the table and no one else can get in. You know, that's like a classic move. So when you see one of these guys actually going to Congress and saying, OK, I think it's time. That's because they're 
they realize they have no more competitive advantage that the way their technology works could be repeated by someone else. So let's quickly create regulations that prevent anyone else from having enough money to get in uh, right. <laughs> to get in on this thing. So, yeah, it's partly that. And I think it's partly really capitalism itself. I really believe when people are talking about AI as this threat and they're worried about it, really what they're talking about is capitalism. It's not the AI, the technology. It's In this case, it's the content. It's what are you running? What's the AI running on? The AI is running on, you know, the same corporate capitalist model of the East India trading right, company right. of, you know, 1600. Yeah. I mean, that is what is really strange and disturbing. What would your solutions be for this kind of problem, right? Like, I mean, you have Elon Musk. He is getting increasingly, I want to say, right wing. He controls 50 percent of the satellites. We already know that he's done things like in Ukraine decided he was sort of going to take Russia's side, right? Or we don't totally know, but there's some evidence to support that he may have made high level security decisions about his satellites that technically you might not want a private citizen making. I mean, are there sort of solutions that you can think of for this that go beyond regulation? I mean, my sense is the government is just doing too little here. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not as good at the government side as the cultural right. side. And what I can tell you is that these guys are desperate for our approval and adulation, mm. that they really look at themselves like demigods, like comic book heroes of a certain sort. And there is a Tinkerbell quality to any demigod where, you know, if you're not worshiping at their altar, they will do whatever they have to to get us to worship at their altar. They want our love. And I think the way we redirect some of their behaviors is by withdrawing and withholding our worship. I mean, it was hard as a professional writer, or whatever, just to go, screw this. I'm leaving X Twitter. This is just not right. I don't want to feed into this and I need to make it OK for other people to not be there either. It's OK to leave the man's platform if you don't like the man, because he's turned it into an extension of this ridiculous, crazy personality. It's a matter of us personally and culturally, socially and civically not adopting their effective, altruist, almost quasi-eugenic understanding of the world. But I'm thinking it's it's not adopting this every man for himself mindset that they have, you know, feeling confident to meet our neighbors and not depend on digital social networks to interact with other people. It will take time. That's sort of the slow path, but certainly regulate, certainly empowered government, or I hate to say it, you know, the Pentagon or whoever it is that's supposed to be making the decisions rather than him. But it's also not focusing so much on these guys as our own cultural heroes, you know, as our own exemplars. That's, I think, almost tougher for people than voting. Yeah, I mean, that is so true. They're laughable, right? These are clowns. Musk challenging Zuckerberg to a cage match. I mean, really? And they go back and forth on that? Is this real? You know, these guys believing that the earth is the fuel that they're going to use to get off the planet in order to actually survive beyond us or promote the human future. This effective altruist idea that the human beings who are alive today are just the larval stage of humanity and 
the only the ones that matter are going to be the ones that fly off. These are crazy people, right? These are nuts people. That's Sam Altman. That's Musk. That's Thiel. And these guys are in charge of the technology that we believe is going to be the, you know, the next big thing, the, the AIs that are going to rule our world. He's like, no way. Do you think the quick decision in the Sam Bankman-Fried trial and the fact that he is likely going to go to jail, SBF, yeah, I think he's actually in jail, right? Yeah. That that has had some kind of effect on the tech bros? Because, I mean, that crew was saying, oh, he'll never get punished because he's a Democrat, which is not even true. He donated to both parties. Or do you think that really that did not have any effect on them? I think it was a little sacrificial lamb. Sam Bankman-Fried was involved in the most overt style of tech broism, right? He was actually working with the money itself. So I think they feel insulated because they're in fantasy businesses, you know, that are <laughs> there are that are unrelated. They're sort of one step removed from the raw money lender and <laughs> the money changer, Sam Bankman Fried. In some ways, it's the interesting thing was after the uh, SBF and then the also the Silicon Valley Bank failure, tech bro generosity changed a lot. A lot of my friends in the nonprofit world are having a whole lot harder time getting funded than they did before those two financial events. So I feel like the people who are into sort of digital finance have been chastened, but the people who are, you know, doing this kind of crazy world building, I don't think they're they're at all afraid. Sam Altman, AI, discuss. That was an interesting one, right? So it's funny, you know, there's this story we're all familiar with now, this trope of the, there's sort of the ousted CEO and the CEO had the original true you know, dream of the company and they get kicked out by the capitalists and the capitalists end up kind of failing. And then the original dream CEO comes back like, you know, Steve Jobs came back and rescued the true soul of Apple. Well, the Sam Altman story is that in reverse, <laughs> right? There was a, a board of directors of this sort of non-profity cap profit company, kind of a hybrid company that was trying to do good. And they had a board of directors who felt responsible to humanity, that the real mission of this company was not to build AI, but the underlying ultimate mission was to make sure AI did not harm humanity, that AI would be benevolently deployed. And they were getting concerned that Sam Altman and the business people were sacrificing that important ethical mission for the idea of making money. Right. The employees, they all want an IPO so they can cash out and make a ton of money. Sam Altman realized he's on the top and was really looking at from the best I can tell talking to, to my friends is that he was looking at adding a new way for AI to work so that AI wouldn't just be using language models, but was going to start using math to figure stuff out for real. And to kill us all. Right. Right. Well, to kill it, to do whatever it's going to do, but to grow. Right. And between Altman and Microsoft and the employees, they were starting to look at 
money first, right? The real program, which is capitalism, right? Capitalism, the ultimate, most powerful AI, right? So this was not a CEO kicked out by capitalism. It was a CEO being kicked out by the anti-capitalists, by the ones who were saying, wait a minute, we got to put on the brakes here, by a board of directors who actually was acting so ethically, they thought, even if this kills the company, it's what we have to do because we can't let this bad thing happen. And so he gets kicked out, but the capitalists win and all the employees go, no, wait a minute. We want our money. We want our stuff. We like our tech bro. You know, he's got a great personality. And look, he's talking about being responsible. Come on. And they push him right back in. Right. And then the board members are gone. We really looked at the real way that capitalism kind of took over a company through its original CEO. So interesting. Thank you so much, Doug Rushkoff. I hope you'll come back. Oh, thank you. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. <sighs> Molly Jogfest, you know, it's always nice when a network gives out an endorsement because you're like, that's a thing. But then never mind to somebody who has absolutely no chance, but then it inspires a lot of backbiting. What are you seeing here? Coke Network, which only one Coke is alive still, has decided to get behind Nikki Haley. This is a pretty interesting phenomenon we're watching happen in real time, which is Republicans have discovered and sort of figured out that DeSantis cannot win. And so they're trying to coalesce behind someone who they think could conceivably win the nomination. And and Nikki Haley has done really well in this primary contest. She's not my pick, but she's much more charismatic and less insane than Ron DeSantis. But what I think is interesting is the Koch brothers, you know, they're desperate not to have Biden have a second term. Because remember, there's all this progressive spending, government spending, which they hate, right? And the dream of a lot of these Republicans is to get rid of Obamacare and to kill the social safety net for once and for all. And so Republicans have decided they're going to get behind Nikki Haley. And my guess is that over the next couple weeks and months, you're going to see more of that. But Donald Trump is not going away as much as Republicans have longed to wish him away. You cannot wish Donald Trump away. And that is why this entire fiasco is our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.